Hey guys, welcome back to my podcast. Thanks for tuning in to my seventh episode. I would really appreciate it if you all would just share these episodes to your friends and family or anyone who you think would benefit from the topics that I've discussed so far. And I'm also open to hearing from listeners and taking suggestions on future topics. With that said, you've read the title and you probably thought this episode is about forgiveness and you're not wrong, but we are going to go beyond just the act of forgiveness and discuss forgiveness and the aftermath of unforgiveness. So let's get into it. So let's take a look at what can happen when somebody chooses not to forgive. Now we've all been disappointed, we've all been hurt, let down by somebody at some point in our lives, but it's even worse when it's somebody we're close with or someone that we trust. And it sounds cliche, um, but forgiveness really is the right thing to do. And there's a reason that God advises us to let go of all anger and bitterness that we have. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 31 says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. And a perfect example of what can happen when we don't do that, when we take our time to nurture the bitterness instead of using our time to shut that down, um, is the story of King David and Ahithophel. Bear with me, because Ahithophel is a tongue twister of a name for me. Um, But 2 Samuel is where this ordeal begins. And I'm just going to share a brief summary of this story because it's pretty long. So King David is in his palace and he had decided to stay home from the current war that his soldiers were out fighting, which was unusual because normally David would be out fighting with them. But I guess for whatever reason, he just decided he was going to sit this one out. So during this day that he's in his palace, he's looking out his window and he sees this woman bathing and he is just so in awe, so overcome with lust. And he's like, I have to have her. And so he sends someone out to figure out who she is and he wants her to be brought to the palace. Second Samuel chapter 11, verse three, David is informed that Bathsheba is married to a man named Uriah. Now, David clearly did not care that Bathsheba was somebody's wife, and he had her brought to the palace so that he could sleep with her. Bathsheba becomes pregnant, and her husband Uriah was actually a soldier in David's army, and David knew him personally. He had, like, at least had some one-on-one interactions with him. So later in verse 14, David orders for Uriah to be on the front lines of this battle. And he ordered that the rest of the soldiers fall back. So basically Uriah would be on the front lines against the enemy with no backup. And David's goal was basically for him to be killed in battle. And that's exactly what happened. David's plan works. And Uriah died never knowing that David had taken advantage of his wife and had gotten her pregnant. God was not at all pleased with David's actions, and he sent a man named Nathan to confront David about all the things he had been doing. And on top of that, the baby that he had with Bathsheba died within seven days of its birth. 
And then many other terrible things happen in David's family and among his surviving children. So it wasn't, you know, like he just did this to Bathsheba and her family and nothing happened to him as a result, but he actually went through quite a lot after that. Now, if we fast forward to 2 Samuel chapter 15, we are seeing where David's son Absalom is conspiring to kill him. I don't remember why, but his son Absalom conspires with Ahithophel, which is David's counselor or advisor, and he's talking to him about his plan to kill his father, King David. And so Absalom clearly knew that Ahithophel would not snitch, but that he would join him in this plan to kill David. And this is the point that I, the part of the story that I want to talk about. Ahithophel was David's longtime advisor and counselor, but he was also Bathsheba's grandfather. So Ahithophel saw how David homewrecked his granddaughter's family. And the Bible doesn't show anywhere, um, to my knowledge, of Ahithophel confronting David about this at the time that it happened. So I'm not sure how many years passed between the beginning of 2 Samuel and chapter 15, but Ahithophel held on to this grudge against David for many years, for a long time. So now Ahithophel is plotting to kill David as revenge for what happened many years prior. In 2 Samuel chapter 17, there's this team of conspirators and Ahithophel presents this plan and gives a suggestion for how they should go about killing David. But the team was like, no, we're not going to go with your idea. And basically, they don't end up um, killing David at this time. So Second Samuel chapter 17, verse 23 says, When Ahithophel saw that his advice had not been followed, he settled his donkey and set out for his house in his hometown. He put his house in order and then hanged himself. So he died and was buried in his father's tomb. And so this story is unfortunate because Ahithophel died still bitter with David and he was so overcome with frustration. He couldn't even, he couldn't get David back and he was just so occupied with that and he just took his own life when it didn't work out. Acts chapter 8 verse 23 says, For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Well, unforgiveness is a sin and all sin leads to death. Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 through 15. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now we, we see literal deaths in this story as a result of sin. But death could also refer to the end of potentially great friendships, great relationships, or even we see like broken family relationships and it causes division as a result of bitterness and not as a result of necessity or safety. Because sometimes division is necessary between two people, whether there's forgiveness or not. Like in cases of domestic violence, there needs to be separation there, um, whether the person forgives the other person or not. But other times, both individuals need to put pride aside and move on. And in some cases, the offender isn't even aware that you have held their offense against them. I'm sure, I mean, David wouldn't have had Ahithophel as his advisor if he knew that Ahithophel was that angry with him for all this time. 
and sometimes the offender they just they lack the self-awareness that they've hurt you they don't think about how their actions affect others because they they're just so self-absorbed um and they've moved on like a feather in the wind but you're still shackled to the event or the events that they put you through and then it deteriorates you internally as we just observed with Ahithophel. So what if we forgive someone, but we're still hurt? Forgiveness acts as a release. So when we forgive, we can let go or we can begin to let go of what was done against us. And we can really just cut ties that need to be cut and move on. But for some of us, forgiveness doesn't automatically or permanently make all the pain, hurt feelings, and bruised ego disappear. So now we have to face these residual emotions, which are usually some mixture of disappointment or anger and sorrow. But I believe that these leftover emotions that we feel, even after forgiving someone, reveal that forgiveness is needed in other areas. Forgiving the offender is obviously, that's the beginning. That's where we start. But now you need to heal. So after you forgive the other person, you may also need to learn how to forgive yourself or even God. You know, let's not pretend that we've never been confused or frustrated with God because we just don't understand why certain things are happening to us, right? And I've even become aware it within myself that sometimes my pain comes from pride and it took someone else telling me that, but I had to accept decisions that I made and forgive myself for that and realize I'm human. So it's inevitable that I will make poor decisions from time to time. And I was never required to be or expected to be this perfect peach, you know? So sometimes it takes looking at ourself or other areas that are not the obvious place where we feel like forgiveness is necessary. And for somebody who finds themselves sulking and, and depressed many moons after everything has passed, need to ask yourself, will I let that situation make or break me? Sometimes you have to remind yourself not to pick it back up, deciding not to entertain thoughts about anything that you've already had to heal from or whatever you're still trying to heal from. Just reiterate to yourself that you already decided to let it go. Let it go so you can grow. And whatever stops growing is dead. Purpose and forgiveness. Purpose has to be one of my new favorite words because I just love the definition. Purpose, as defined as a noun, is the reason for which something is done or created or for which something exists. And then the verb form is defined as have as one's intention or objective. And that's how Christians tend to use the word purpose. What is God's purpose for my life? What is God's purpose in this season of my life? So now let's discuss purpose as it relates to forgiveness. God already knows everything that is going to happen in our life. He knows our life story. Nothing we have done and nothing that has been done to us surprises him. There are no plot twists for God. He doesn't experience that. Now with that in mind, 
I trust that God would not allow me to go through anything that I was not capable of overcoming. God has a purpose in my journey on my path of forgiveness. And I think forgiveness is an act of faith and it shows trust in God because our intention um, and our instinct is, let me just get my lick back. But forgiveness is not your first response when you want to do that. If you're trying to get back at someone, you don't just think, let me forgive them. But by putting aside the revenge that our flesh wants, God is actually able to change us for the better and for our good. And we become more mature through this process. Romans chapter 12 verse 19 says, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Honestly, all of Romans chapter 12 is a great reference of how we as followers of Christ should treat people who have done us wrong, but it's definitely not easy. Like some stuff in there, you're reading it and you're just like, wow, I don't know if I could do that. But God gives us the strength to do what we need to do and to help us act the way we should act and treat people the way we should treat them. Um, and I like the last verse of Romans 12, which is verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There are a few things I want to touch on when it comes to specifically being a Christian on the topic of forgiveness. As Christians, as believers, as followers of God, we are supposed to represent Jesus and act as much like Jesus as we can. Obviously, we're human, so we can only get so close to acting like Jesus and, you know, the quote, do or what would Jesus do? But we are called to be salt and light to the world. Matthew chapter 5 verses 13 through 16 says, and it's Jesus talking here. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So the way that we treat others should be a result of an overflow that we're experiencing of God's goodness over us. God has been so good to us that it just spills onto everyone around us, that goodness. Don't mistake that for being a doormat to be run over. Don't confuse that and think kindness is weakness or forgiveness is tolerance. But for the most part, we should be so different in the way that we act and carry ourselves that people are like, what's different about them? And, you know, if they like it, they're thinking, I want what they have and I want to be able to experience what they're experiencing. And now you have an opportunity to tell them about God, tell them about your experiences and witness to them and just share your story with them about why you are living for God. So now let's look at Psalms chapter 23, verse 5. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And then Proverbs chapter 24, verse 17 says, do not gloat when your enemy falls. When they stumble, do not let your heart rejoice or the Lord will see and disapprove and turn his wrath away from them. 
And I believe the takeaway in the comparison of those two verses is, one, we see that God's got our back, you know, and he sees everything that we go through and he's going to make sure we have everything we need. And, you know, when it comes to him preparing a table for us, he's he's blessing us despite what has been done to us, regardless of who doesn't like us or who mistreated us. God's still taking care of us and doing so much for us that no one could understand how how are they getting blessed like that? How are they always taken care of like that? Um, but on the other hand, God doesn't want us to become focused on what somebody did to us or whatever has happened to us. And God wants that to be behind us now. He wants us to just put that behind us and focus on moving forward, forgive and moving forward. Um, because God doesn't want to see us praying on, you know, for someone else's downfall or hoping for someone else to experience bad things. And that's typically how our flesh reacts. Like I said, getting your lick back, even if you're not the one to do it, you're sitting there like, well, if, if someone else gets them, you know, that's what they deserve. And like Joseph, for example, his story is in Genesis. No matter what happened to Joseph, God had favor over him. He became a high esteemed leader and his brothers who had mistreated him, they had to face him many years later and they were under his command. But Joseph didn't spend his life focusing on whether or not karma was going to hit his siblings. He just went along with God's plan. So to wrap this episode up and put a little bow on it, here are my key takeaways for you guys. One, unforgiveness leads to death. This could be metaphorically and literally. Two, let it go so you can grow. Three, whatever stops growing is dead. Four, there is purpose in forgiveness. And five, forgiveness sets us apart from the world. I hope that all of this information helped and that there was at least one thing that I said that speaks to you and to where you are in your life um, or even to where someone else that you know may be at. And until next time, be blessed.